And we're back with another episode of the Cosmic Crossfire. It's Gerald coming right back at you here. But it wouldn't be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man behind Rob McCallum Films. You gotta check out everything that's going on with Rob McCallum Films at robmccallumfilms.com, Rob McCallum Films on Facebook, and at Rob McZob on Twitter. It's my good friend. It's Rob McCallum. You've got a lot going on, as always. Just appreciate you coming back after a little bit of an absence. It's just you were so worried, weren't you? I was kind of worried. Just kind of worried. Kind of worried. I was wondering if Thanos got you too. I don't even know what that means yet. Ah, well, you will someday. You will. Great to have you back on the show, my friend. Yeah, it's been a couple weeks for the crossfire. We've been in syndicated reruns, I guess, or whatever you've been doing behind the scenes as I've shifted locations and reset up, and my body is mostly healed from the lumbering crap I've had to pull from yet one location to another location. And I can confirm, at this point, I literally threw out one and a half metric tons of useless crud from my old place. So we're free from that. The, the mighty purge has happened. I know there's been some discussion about the different kind of purge on the PCC. This was the ultimate purge. And I can literally say now I have thrown out a ton of crap in my life. That's awesome to hear. Uh, just, well, you know, it sounds like you never know how much you hoard as an individual until you do a move and you find it. You have all this extra stuff on your hands. It's kind of amazing, isn't it? Well, it's not so much my stuff because I had a pretty slimmed down version from coming from Vegas to Canada, but my uh, my fiance had been living in her house for 10 years and, uh, you know, her ex didn't really do a lot of cleaning up stuff and didn't take a lot of crap with him. And, well, that's his loss and uh, the dumpster's gain. Oh, there you go. There you go. But, Rob, we're here to talk pop culture and you're the man to talk to on that. So, pray tell, Rob. What's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, we are going to take more of a, a technology spin, I guess, this week compared to movies and trailers and stuff. And we're going we're gonna to start off with Netflix and Amazon Prime Video, two companies and streaming services we obviously talk a lot about. They infiltrate everyone's daily lives. And maybe they've got to be put on notice and it's time for them to watch out as European networks are joining forces specifically to combat Netflix and Amazon. Have you heard about this? A little bit about it. It's, it's, I know there's there's all this measures against Amazon and Netflix because of the fact that they are now such large entities. With Netflix, pretty much, I guess, I think at this point in time, the most viewed product right now on, on the entire earth. It's pretty understandable why that other entities have to go ahead and even join forces in order to combat against this. Well, countries such as France, Germany, and UK are setting up massive on-demand services that combine their biggest broadcasters. So if you were to take the UK, for instance, you'll have BBC on a streaming platform combined with Sky and basically, I think, what is it, ITV is the other big one that they have over there. Yeah. Everything is kind of being combined onto one platform per country. This launches in 2019, and of course, it's not just that these broadcasters are coming together. They bring those licenses with them. So if one of those broadcasters has the license to the Big Bang Theory, that's going to be on the streaming service now. So 
is this too little too late? Is this going to be a legitimate uh, combatant to Netflix and Amazon Prime? What are your thoughts? I don't want to say it's too little too late for those countries that because it's hard for us as here in this country in in my in my country US right now your country is Canada right now so <laughs> in my country exactly so it's not to sound like that all territorial and all but it's it's hard to say cuz you're not in that in those countries in those areas that will be affected primarily but it's very hard when there's uh let's say a race car or a race horse that has such a large lead over the field at this point in time and it's almost to the point where netflix is lapping the field now at some point in time netflix is going to have this little bump in the road and uh, other entities get to take advantage of that but that sounds like a great offer that is going to be formulated do you think they'll be able to coexist long enough to be able to provide something sustainable long term as a viable candidate that uh, is against Netflix and Amazon? Well, what I think that these countries have going for them is that they get to bring the best of the best, these staple multi-generational brands together that get free kind of broadcast over the air advertising that are in the papers that are these institutions that Netflix isn't. These are, these are traditional cable services that have literally shaped the entire culture. And now that they're coming out with an online on-demand streaming service, I think that just further expands their reach. Whether it's enough to stop Netflix or compete on equal footing, I'm not sure. But if I'm somebody who is paying for cable, this might be a nice little alternative to just go to the internet side of things and just stream it that way. I know there's a lot of cord cutting discussion in North America. More and more people every day seem to cancel their cable package and uh, satellite package. And I am definitely amongst those people. And I've been a Netflix subscriber for a long time. But hey, I'm now an Amazon video subscriber as well. And I probably spend 50-50 time between the two platforms. And there's a lot of other stuff out there too. So if I had an option in Canada to have CBC and CTV and Global, which are some of the bigger channels here, that would be a really uh, enticing package for me. And when you have sports stuff that's infused with some of that, imagine having an ESPN with, say, a Fox and an ABC and an NBC streaming platform. That might be a little bit something to our American listeners that, hey, yeah, I would pay 10 bucks a month for this cable package that also included these sports and these other things. I don't think you're going to be able to see that in this country. I mean, we've already seen where you have CBS All Access all by itself. NBC Universal talking about uh, has had a little interest in, in doing something like that. Gerald, uh, in the world Blue. of Movie Pass, never say never about combining different services together. If Movie Pass can do what they've been doing for over a year now, surely some third party middleman conglomerate can come along and say, for 50 bucks, you get unlimited access to the big five networks in the US plus all this stuff and we'll eat up the cost difference and we'll basically mash all their services together through our special device. Well, when it comes to MoviePass, you see what's going on there. And they're now raising their prices, surge pricing. Some people are are actually leaning away from it. There's now- But price aside, they managed to infiltrate every single major theater chain and get and get everybody on board with their service. That's what we're talking about here. They have become competitive and they're their only player out there to basically have a universal currency at the theater. 
Well, it's great to see other countries being able to do it. I don't think this country will do it, unfortunately, because at this point in time, like I said, CBS All Access is out there. ABC will probably, if it's generated for his shows, if it doesn't go to Hulu, which was purchased primarily by Disney, then you'll see it on a Disney streaming service. So you'll, you won't see that type of cooperation. But I do, going back to your original question way back when, on the European marketplace, is that going to be something that might compete? I think it will. I think it has a chance to put a nice little dent into it. It all depends, like you said, on the programming that's available for those consumers. Rob McCallum Films is back with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films. And further Netflix chit chat, Netflix removes user reviews, which was a desktop only feature. They've been quoted to say, we are removing the ability to read and write reviews in the coming weeks. This feature is only offered on the website and has seen declining usage over time. We have notified members who have used the feature recently that they'll be no longer able to write reviews by the end of July and no longer able to read reviews by mid-August. Is this a game changer? Does it matter? Are they trying to stop possibly bad press or crappy things that people are saying about their original series or, or other things? Or is this simply just sweeping out the closet, getting rid of something that only a fraction of users use? Or is this really limiting the speech of really passionate internet dwelling folks? In other words, is it sweeping out the toxicity that could be there? I didn't say that because, wow. you know, I've been the uh, the recipient of very nice reviews and stuff online. So I don't want to say that it's all toxic out there. Okay, potentially toxic out there. How about that? Wicked. Wicked. It, I it inspires me that, that you're willing to come back a little bit across the line. Uh, yes, well, you know, Billy B's <laughs> coming back to Star Wars. We'll go inspiring. Inspiring, inspiring. But I will tell you this, that with taking that out, I don't think it's that great of a deal. I think Meaning it's just, a big deal or it's not a great deal? It's not a big deal at all. I just okay. don't think it's that important of a component that people are going to be really up in arms over. I think it's going to affect some that just live to go ahead and put their opinions on there. But if we really want to, you can create Reddit boards, chat boards, uh, social media contacts, and strings of that nature that can connect with audiences in at least a similar format, And even though it's not directly related onto the Netflix platform. Do you think they'll remove the thumb up, thumb down rating system, which of course replaced the old five star tier? Because what is the point of that from our point of view, since we never get to really see how deep that goes or what that triggers? I think so, because all it takes is just one or two incidents of abuse on it, where if there's something that is, let's say a documentary that just is against uh, of a political nature that a lot of people are against, whether or not the quality of it is good or bad, it's not going to be a difference. People are just going to go ahead and, and be negative about it or conversely be positive about it as well to the point where it's maybe disproportionate to what it actually should be. I see that being gotten rid of at some point in time as well. All the power is being taken away from the people, Gerald. We can't write our reviews. We can't give a star rating. We can't give a thumbs up or thumbs down. 
we're just forced to sit there and consume nonstop. Somebody else mentioned the other day that you used to have like 12 seconds between one episode ending and another episode beginning on the Netflix counter. Now it's like four seconds. Have you noticed that? I've heard of that as well, and that has been talked about. It's just making sure that it connects you from one episode to another without having you think about maybe turning it off or going. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it's a it's lot of pressure. Of it's hard to go pee in, in four seconds. I know, really I know. Pee. It's hard That's to breathe and truly appreciate it. But we used to go only, week to week. Oh, an entire no. week, seven days. Now we go four seconds. But there's always the pause button, my friend. No, there isn't. They're going to get rid of that too. They're well, going to get rid of the pause button. That would be wrong. That's uh, them's fighting words, my friend. Them's, them's might be fighting words. You got it, my friend, as I would say. This next segment I think you're going to have fun with. I call it, Is It Enough to Matter? I'm so excited. I'm just on pins and needles to find what this is all about. You get two choices. You get one side or the other. The first side is Reese Witherspoon launches a VOD channel or... YouTube to invest $25 million to fight fake news. On the one side, Reese Witherspoon is taking two unscripted series that will appear on channel 1112 on DirecTV. And the $25 million is available strictly to newsrooms through an application process that Google has decided to disseminate. Are either enough to matter? Which matters more in your opinion? I think the Reese Witherspoon deal because $25 million is just a drop in the bucket these days. So I would probably say it would be Reese Witherspoon trying to see if she can affect the TV market from the, you said the 10, 11 and 10, 12 channels on direct TV. It's, it's 11, 12 and I forget what it is on, on dish network, but I just thought, man, wouldn't it be a nice cozy, convenient spot to have channel 1,112. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 24 hours a day of the cosmic crossfire right there. There you go. Maybe, maybe we're getting there. We've got uh, what we're on episode 31 or 32, 35, my friend, 35. 35. We could just run them over and over and over again. It'd be like the Truman show. It plays and then it comes back and plays all over again. Red and red it goes. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You ridiculing me and, and pointing things out to me. I and, don't and, ridicule you. I just happen to stop you in your tracks and ask for some clarification because sometimes I frankly can't believe the things that you say and I need further clarification that you're actually saying the things that are coming out of your mouth. Well, there you go. See, that's 24 hours of that. That's just nonstop. That would be just so enjoyable for everyone out there. It's quite the marathon. Mm, nothing's better when grilling your favorite meal than adding some delicious Wheelie Q rubs, seasonings, and gluten-free barbecue sauce. Made with the finest ingredients, Wheelie Q products pack a ton of flavor to your meals, whether it's ribs, chicken, steak, hamburgers, fries, or vegetables. To get your hands on some of these tasty Wheelie Q items, head on over to www.wheelieq.com and a portion of all profits made will go into finding a cure for spinal muscular atrophy. Pop Culture Cosmos listeners, act now and get 15% off your order just by entering the promo code POD1, that's P-O-D and the number one at checkout. For the tastiest food on the grill, nothing's better than Wheelie Q items today at wheeliq.com. 
Sony stock hits a 10-year high, Gerald. This is a pretty big deal because it wasn't that long ago that they had this email hacking conundrum where information was leaked out and people were fired and things were said and notes were passed and people were in detention. Now Sony stock hits a 10-year high. We've talked about this particular angle before, and I'm going to bring it up because it came back up when this article hit. 51% of their revenue will come from movies, gaming, and music. So let's return to the question that we've pondered once or twice on the Cosmic Crossfire. Is Sony an entertainment company or an electronic supergiant? At this point in time, they're leaning more and more into an entertainment fashion because the hardware outside of the PlayStation business really hasn't been that great for them as far as all their uh, audio and video equipment. I mean, yes, they still produce quite a bit in that area, as you and I see whenever we go to CES or Whenever I go to CES, I see their huge area where they have all this other equipment that they're trying to debut and whatnot. But if all those dollars spent on all that hardware is put somewhere else into more profitable and more revenue-generating aspects of the company, it might prove out to be something that they might want to look into more of over the coming years. But Because uh, there's, there's just such a glut in the marketplace of electronics that are available that can compete. Oh, like there isn't a glut of entertainment options out there either between music, movies, and gaming. But it's been something that they've done better in recent times. Even with the, well, obviously with the PlayStation 4 that they've done so well, rumors of a PlayStation 5 coming possibly as early as fall 2019. And of course, their movies, which, you know, Sony's been. I guess on the butt of many jokes over the years with some of the decisions that they made movie-wise, but they still have the Spider-Man license and some other licenses that have proven out to be somewhat profitable. Obviously, they're back in good graces with Marvel fans with the Spider-Man Homecoming universe now and the second movie's out and coming out next year. So at this point in time, maybe a larger focus on those entities that make them a little bit more profit might be probably be advisable. Maybe should, instead of just being a 50% type share between those two entities maybe have it lean towards the entertainment side a little bit more and and see where that goes it's a hard thing to say though right because again disney is merging now with fox and or whatever it's going to be called disney is acquiring their assets at&t and warner brothers are, are also getting together can sony even compete against those two juggernauts that are staring them down can you really risk turning your back on some of the the staple money that you can always depend on with the electronic side of things to take that risk at this time? Or do you just sit back, hold your cards close to your chest, let the gaming stuff do their thing, put out a few good movies, maybe make sure you don't get a bunch more Ghostbuster reboot things happening of that ilk, and just see how the landscape trans transforms the next year. I don't think the next five years is, is a good time to take a risk in, in the entertainment industry. No, as far as the entertainment industry is concerned, but what they have as far as, like you said, that staple money with all the, the components that they make is they're thought of in many levels of the electronics industry as something that's a little bit higher end as far as the price is concerned. In only a few categories could they be considered the leader in that industry. And maybe it's just something they might want to look into more. Maybe it just, even if it's just a little bit as far as in the right direction, because they've, in the past few years of recent times, you and I both have got to admit that they've, they've done a 
pretty fair job of trying to become a better company when it comes to the entertainment industry aspect of it. And obviously the gaming industry, even though the matter of crossplay when it comes to the PlayStation could hurt them and impact their sales going forward. Yeah, I'm not all that concerned about crossplay, to be honest, given the numbers that they got there. I think crossplay is going to really only affect a small margin of people. I don't think it's going to really affect Sony's bottom line. And I think when it comes to electronics, well, they may not be the leader with their Bravia series TVs or anything specific and, and hardware side. They're always consistently in the top three or the top five of manufacturers, which is a pretty nice place to be, given that some markets don't have a lot of competition, especially in, in Asia and, and the other parts of the world. So I think that Sony needs just to sit back, especially with that bond license still undecided. You know, sit back and, and see what's what. Maybe look at some acquisition side for, for film companies and, and other distributors instead of trying to do more original content. I disagree with you on the aspect of crossplay. I do believe it's becoming an important part of the... Uh, I think people are making it vocal. That doesn't mean it's important. There's well, a difference. I, I think it will become a more important part of the game space and universe, especially with Microsoft and Nintendo actually making vocal efforts to become more friendly with each other on that aspect. And when the biggest game that's out there, Fortnite, has become a lightning has become an awesome hit on nintendo switch oh wait it hasn't and actually it has it got too many downloads the first day and well when you when you announce it at e3 that it's available now you're going to get a lot of downloads but how many actual active accounts and users are there for that look no further than pokemon go goes drop off when it was announced too same with what mitomo Huge numbers the first week, and then absolutely crickets after. Well, well, Pokemon Go is almost at the point of its original startup at this point in time, because Pokemon Go has found a new, I guess, a, a rise in popularity over recent months in 2018, almost to the point where it was when it originally started. So, I so okay, so come that. talk to me in 18 months when Fortnite actually, you know, figures out what to do right and engage their their, their hardcore fan base again, because those installs are not getting are not the same as active users. All right, all right. Um, I don't know. I'm uh, we're, I'm not at Epic, so I can't give you an official response or throw out numbers at you. Well, why not? Well, you know, because I don't work for them. I'm sorry. You gotta have this information ready if you're going to talk about it. All I can tell you is <laughs> 125 million, man. That's the only number I can throw at you. Is 125 million are active users when it comes to Fortnite. 125 million users right now. Two million, like I said, on its first day. And so 125 million users, less than two percent are on Nintendo Switch. No, I said two million on the first day. Right. So how many how many users are on Nintendo Switch now? I would probably say it's over half the users have at least downloaded the game on Nintendo Switch platform. So what does that so make? So half the Switch owners, four, is that what you're saying? I probably say half the Switch owners. Four uh was that make it four, five, six million right now? At this so point it's still like three percent i'm just right as as nintendo as the nintendo how can a three percent install base really force a matter of crossplay affecting sony because they haven't got on board you throw the xbox one users the pc users in there and then you mentioned you know we mentioned consoles and you mentioned xbox and nintendo nintendo's adaption of fortnite is not going to make sony scared Uh, no i'm not i'm not talking about that i'm talking about the fans 
requesting crossplay. I'm talking about the voice that they generate together. The PC users, the Xbox One users, and the Nintendo Switch users all coming together to ask for crossplay. It's been a controversy over the past few weeks that has been created because of Sony's unwillingness to go ahead and bend and yield towards the crossplay platform for their gaming. I guess they don't it, need it, to. It, it's an issue now. It's a small mm-hmm. issue now, but it could become a, a larger issue. Yeah. I don't, th- I don't think it's an issue. The issue is a word that seems really harsh, like it's a thorn in the side of Sony. And I don't think it is, given the numbers that they've got on their side with consoles sold and other games that are selling. Well, it's the future of PlayStation at this point in time, with, with PlayStation 4 going on the latter end of stages of its sales when it comes to the PlayStation 5 coming around the corner. That might be a bigger concern that we might be seeing that consumers want and out of their gaming consoles going forward. Perhaps, but that also when you start doing crossplay stuff, you really reduce the exclusivity of the console and the system that you're promoting. Because yeah. the, then why do, why do I have to get a Sony console when I can get any other console to play this big popular game? It's all about the exclusives and the uh, the online play, or in the case of the Switch, the portability. But people still want to play with other people that they know. And if they're on other platforms, it always makes the game experience better. And at least at this point in time, Xbox, Nintendo, they're at least cooperating to the point where they want to create that friendly environment, even if it takes market share away from PlayStation at this point in time. Well, I'm I'm all for their happy little circle of flowers, I suppose. I don't think it's going to be a, a big issue in the meadow that Sony owns. Right. I think Sony's going to have to plant their own seeds and, and be a part of the party just yet. Well, fine, fine. That's, that's how you believe. I, I, I can respect that. But I will say this, that if they don't keep on doing the right things, their market share will go down and their profitability will be affected by it. But... We'll have to wait. You know, what kind of broad statement is that? If they don't do the right things, this is how you set that phrase up. If you don't do the right things, you won't have a good job and get a mortgage and and be somebody worthwhile. If you don't do the right things. This is one of those moments where you have to clarify yourself, Gerald. If you don't do the right things, what is that? If they don't take the right steps. How about that? So that broad. Just, it's so broad, so generic. Well, you know, like I said, I can't predict the future for Sony. They made some right moves recently, obviously rebooting the Spider-Man franchise and getting in bed with Marvel. That's been a great move for them. But they've also made some uh, missteps in the past, as you noted in the beginning of the segment before you trashed me. Then uh, it's just, like <laughs> I said, they just got to keep on going with, you know, pretty good steps in order to go ahead and progress further as a company. But I, I still think that they should lean more on the entertainment side at this point in time. You've missed me, haven't you? Dearly, dearly, my friend. Yeah, it's wicked that I'm back. And more coffee, more coffee. I, have, I haven't had coffee for a while. Imagine if I had a cup. Oh my gosh, I would just be crying right now. Yeah, close to tears. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. 
Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Let's wrap up the crossfire this week with the future of HBO now that AT&T is in the mix this obviously brings a lot of money towards all the warner companies one can only hope that dc figures out what to do with more money that's a whole other topic of course but what does hbo do right now they're quoted to saying that they're spending about two billion dollars on production content of course netflix has been thrown out there that it's about eight billion amazon prime is about four and a half and hulu's around two two and a half are they going to? I, I thought it was thirteen on that on part of Netflix. That maybe I thought it was. I thought it was eight billion on originals. Sorry. Okay. Probably okay. five billion on acquisitions on the other okay. side. Then, what is HBO going to uh, do? Do they try to ramp up? There was an article that said they may consider as many as four or five Game of Thrones spinoffs, just so that there is constantly Game of Thrones on every couple months. And then the other thing that they've got to combat is their niche cult status, which is what made them popular. They were an event destination, whether it was for comedy stand-up or for sports or for higher-end documentaries. They kind of found a home. And as of late in the last 15 years, they've really kind of taken over the Sunday night viewing habits with Sopranos and Sex in the City and Entourage. Can you have another night? Does it really appointment viewing now when you have to watch them Sunday night and Monday night and Tuesday night? Is more shows the answer here? Can they compete with Netflix and our in original programming? Or should they just keep doing what they're doing and only have those, you know, five to ten stable shows every cycle? Well, they're gonna have to figure out something because as you know, as of next year the original Game of Thrones will be no more. And who knows what people are going to do as far as their viewing tastes are concerned, do something different or watch something different. So you, you never know what the eventual taste of the viewing audience is going to be, but I think they need to go ahead and ramp up their spending habits, especially now that they've officially acquired HBO and, and be able to provide consumers with a viable market the other six days a week as well so i I just think they got to go ahead and they have the assets they have the funding i mean it's not just netflix that has all this cash to throw out there they can at least try to provide something that will make a dent as far as the other six days a week outside of just sunday night and just be so reliant on it with just two main shows westworld and game of thrones it's a it's a really interesting conundrum because i don't think there is a uh an easy answer for them because I think they're on a bit of a precipice. I think they've either got to jump off in a big way to expand or they've really just got to keep in their corner and do what they're doing best and be happy that they're kind of owning one night a week and maybe have people kind of going back throughout the week to catch up on shows here and there that that are of peak interest or checking stuff on demand. Because the second that they went kind of to their own streaming service with uh, HBO Go and, of course, HBO Now, depending on your, your sign-up plan, they kind of became a direct competitor to Netflix. I know, again, if they offered HBO Go in Canada for $15, which it was in the US, I'd sign up in a heartbeat because the programming is that high of quality. And there's enough of it 
even if it's just the one night a week to, to make it appointment viewing for me, even if I've got to binge it as the episodes come closer to the season's end, or if there is that Chris Rock comedy special or whatever kind of monthly thing is, is the big draw. To me, HBO has always been a, about quality. It's not TV, it's HBO. And, it, and it's worth it. So I kind of get worried when they want to add more and more and more when we've already got a glut of other crap on uh, stuff that's good crap on Netflix and Amazon Prime and some of these other channels. Because the nice thing about HBO is you only really have to worry about the five or six shows. And that's pretty easy to kind of get caught up in. You really only got to worry about it one day a week. There's a lot of like, there's less viewer anxiety about spoilers and stress and being caught up in entertainment fatigue. I like what HBO is doing. I think they just need to keep doing what they do well and not try to compete with the Netflix because they could get burnt out. Use that money more wisely than spreading it across the table. I think that's pretty sound reasoning right there. If they do either or you just go all in or just be happy with what they got, I think at this point in time, they need to think about that seriously, but they can't do things half-baked. They can't do things like, well, let's spend maybe a little bit more and see what we got you're right. They either got to go all in or just be happy with that one day a week that they're primary viewing for people out there. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out with any DC streaming stuff that goes on as a separate standalone app. If any of that gets folded into HBO services and if they're going to share content back and forth, that may be relevant Uh, with the Watchmen series coming out. Like where's that home going to be? Is it going to be a little bit of both? Is there going to be cross uh, collateral assets? And is that something that Warner Brothers and AT&T want to look at? Or are they just going to really divide the marketplace more? Should there just be a Warner streaming app and HBO be part of it and spend money on building that infrastructure, knowing that you would get HBO, Warner television channels that are that are part of that and DC? Uh, that's very interesting. And only time will tell now. But yes, the Watchmen series, I think, is going to be a key component if that is... Uh, accepted by the fans out there. And I think that just might be if it's done well enough. I, I think that is something that people can get back into again. I know the movie itself was kind of out there at that point in time. And I'm not sure audiences were ready for that. Plus the film may, of course, you know, depending on who you talk to, is just all over the place. But I think a Watchmen series could be the key to being something that will enhance HBO and the DC streaming service if they go ahead, like you said, and and merge and become... Uh, you know, as far as a coexisting group when it comes to that series specifically. You think fans are going to be okay with it in, in this world of toxicity and fanatic demise? In, in what world are you living that fans are going to be okay with it? Okay with what? The, the series? The Watchmen series. I just, I just don't see it happening. They hated the movie. They're on edge as it is. They have, was it Damon Lindelof on board? As, as a writer of it, who, of course, is responsible for some of the most vague, weakest plot point writings ever. Look no further than Lost and Star Trek Into Darkness. Like, he's just not the, the showrunner that I'd want for that kind of series to, to get excited about. But hey, what, what, what do I know? I just, I just think this is a really bad climate to uh, try to do something that is so beloved that has already kind of suffered a setback in terms of entertainment production. The only thing that's, that is seemingly safe from any kind of fan backlash these days is a Marvel release. Ant-Man versus Wasp came out and there was a little bit like, oh, it only made this much at the, at the box office. Well, it was more than the original made. 
So you should be pretty happy about that. It's still it's like the twentieth film that Marvel's released that that was at number one. That's still pretty good, but that was it. That fanboys really complained about from what I saw online was that the dollar amount wasn't as big as some had thought it would be. So maybe there's superhero fatigue all over again. I don't know. It's all well, malarkey. It's just a smaller scale. It's just a smaller scale story. So it wasn't planned or wasn't projected to do anywhere near what uh, Avengers: Infinity War. And also as well, Black Panther were doing. So you're right. I, I have seen that a little bit of that as well. And if that's the only argument you have, that that means that you know, like you said, Marvel is doing something that's people are liking to the point where there's just very little, I guess, like you said, toxicity on it. Because I, the only thing I see is, well, maybe Avengers: Infinity War wasn't as good as I thought it was, or things like that. And that's that's pretty much the only thing you hear that you, about that. You don't hear those major things that you hear about when it comes to the Star Wars uh, saga and all those other things that people are getting just so so much and up in arms for. So you're right on that note. No, just stop right there. I'm right. For once, you're right. No, like I said, just stop. You're right. And we can end the Cosmic Crossfire on such an enlightening note. You're right. Yes. <laughs> But Rob, I know you got a lot of stuff on the plate right now. So if you can give everybody what's going on in your world when it comes to Rob McCallum films. Well, we are right around the corner, of course, from Power of Grayskull release. That date is still a mystery for whatever contractual reasons. It's coming, though. And uh, the Kitty documentary is out there, and it's actually doing really well. Missing Mom continues to do well. Galaxy of Hope has been something that Jay Bartlett and I have been talking about as, as of late. We had talked about a relaunch this month and we decided we're going to push it back another month and launch a Facebook page and let people kind of get on board and build the community a little bit more than than we had done with our first launch so we're targeting an August 7th campaign relaunch we've been busy behind the scenes and got some interesting irons in the fire with that one where it's allowing us to go after maybe mainly just production funds so it'll be a little bit easier to possibly hit that goal to see a collection road trip uh, worth the ages across North America to secure Star Wars memorabilia that'll go and benefit uh, Children's Health Foundation. So we'll see if we can get that off the ground. And just busy with my own projects. Boxer continues to do well. I was working with Mr. Glenn Stanway as of late. He was recording some voiceover drops for uh, ongoing segments that'll appear in every episode. And uh, we're working with Slopes Game Room out of the UK, who's doing some segments as well. And just kind of waiting on those folks to get their content in so we can send it off to legal. And then it goes to market. And if you want to get the latest updates on what's going on in Rob McCallum Films, there's no better place to go than Rob McCallum Films on Facebook or at Rob McSob on Twitter. Rob, it's always a great pleasure having you on the show. And if you want to ask us a question at any time at all, just send us a line either at Rob McCallum Films on Facebook or popculturecosmos at yahoo.com Rob it's always great having you a part of the show my friend maybe next week not moving anywhere are you I don't know we'll see keep you uh, anticipated it's a it's a lose lose I think Gerald because if I'm not back next week a little less content a little less fun but if I am back next week it's a little bit more harassment a little bit more aggravation I can't wait for that I just can't wait well, Rob, it's always great having you part of the show and, of course, a part of the Cosmic Crossfire. <laughs> <laughs>